Welcome to our next discussion. As we walk our way through the Wesleyan order of salvation or way of salvation, I continue to emphasize both of those because some folks prefer one or the other phrase. Uh, it would be an interesting discussion to get into why they prefer one or the other phrase, but uh, we'll not do that today. We talked about prevenient grace last week, and we said there were four of these components or functions of grace that we wanted to talk about in understanding Wesley's way or order of salvation. Today we move to convicting grace, and then we'll look at uh, justifying grace and sanctifying grace in subsequent discussions. I found Wesley uh, to have a very interesting metaphor that he used to try to understand how we moved into salvation. He used the metaphor of a house, and he understood different functions of grace relating to different portions of the house. So for example, today we're talking about convicting grace, and for him, convicting grace and the response that convicting grace was supposed to draw from us, he called the porch of salvation. It's just moving on to the porch of this house. And then he talked about justification as the doorway to salvation, which might sound interesting. We'll have to talk about that a little bit more when we get into a fuller discussion of justifying grace. And then living in the house, occupying the house, being at home there, that he called sanctifying grace. So we'll keep each one of these things in mind as we walk our way through the discussion. Now the goal, of course, is to live in the house. The goal of the Wesleyan order of salvation is sanctification, the full transformation of our lives into the image of Christ. Convicting grace, though, comes after prevenient grace. Prevenient grace, as we discussed last time, is that grace that God bestows upon us that enables the worst effects of our depravity, the worst effects of our sinfulness to be overcome so that we can, in fact, freely respond to God's offer of salvation. That, isn't, that doesn't move us into right relationship with God in and of itself. It simply makes that possible. Now, when we come to convicting grace, the question we have to ponder is, can we really change before we recognize a need for change? We live in a world in which many folks seem to be comfortable in their brokenness. And we have to get uncomfortable in our brokenness before we're going to see that change. So it's only as we recognize our brokenness, our need to be different, our need for transformation, that we can then respond to God in a way that empowers that. So convicting grace is that grace of God which interacts with us in such a way that it makes us see who we really are, helps us to see ourselves as God sees us, helps us to see the self-centeredness of so many of our actions. Just take a moment and pause to think about the ways in which we interact with people around us. How often do we interact with them in ways that simply try to draw them into service to us or to try to make us feel good? There was a book by Diogenes Allen called Finding Our Father in which he describes human sinfulness in this way. Human sinfulness uh, at its core is the attempt to make ourselves the center of everything. And then what we do with the people around us is that we try to draw them into orbit around ourselves. How is it that we think whether this person or that person is a good or bad person? Well, we do that in relation to ourselves. Do they make me feel good? Do they serve my agenda or my ends? If so, then that's a good person. If not, then not a good person. But you see, the fundamental core of this sinful nature that we have is our self-centeredness, our selfishness, our desire to be the middle of everything. 
Convicting grace helps us to see that, to see the extent to which we do it. And God helps us to see just how much that is disgusting to him. It's not how he created us to be. Again and again throughout scripture, we're given pictures where God intends us to live in relationship with those around us of self-giving love, where we elevate the interest of others over our own interest. In fact, when we go to 2 Philippians, that great passage from 5 to 11, in the course of that, Paul says that we should have the mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, that we would not think about our own interests first, but we would think about the interests of those around us. Convicting grace helps us to see just how deeply broken we are because it helps us to see how much our own selfishness and self-interest is at the core of so much of what we do. Now, God's convicting grace isn't there just to be depressing or discouraging or to leave us feeling bad. God doesn't uh, have as a goal making us feel broken just for the sake of feeling broken. The right response to convicting grace is repentance. We recognize who we are. We recognize the depths of our brokenness. We use that provenient grace that God has given us and we turn to him in repentance. So it isn't just feeling bad. It isn't just being sor sorrowful about the things that we've done in the past, though it does include that. It's this component, this repentance of turning away not just turning away mentally, not just saying, I won't do that anymore, but actually changing our behaviors to be a different sort of person, to think about God in a different sort of way, to think about those around us in a different sort of way. Now, Wesley didn't say we were in the house yet. We weren't yet living in the house when we get to conviction and repentance. We're still on the porch of salvation, but God's moving us in the right direction. Convicting grace helps us to see our brokenness, to see our need for a change. It calls forth repentance. And when we respond with repentance, then we're ready to take the next step, justifying grace, which we'll talk about next.